You're listening to the Verbatim Word Podcast, where we seek biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary. Knowing your space can be very important. I shared a room with my brother from kindergarten until the eighth grade. And while we occupied the same space, it wasn't all common ground. There seemed to be imaginary lines all over the place that my older brother made sure to clarify and enforce. When we were younger, there was top bunk, bottom bunk. You did not trespass on the other. As we got older, the bunk beds gave way to two beds on opposite walls of the bedroom, an invisible line of demarcation down the middle, which could be dangerous to cross. Identical bed sets, drawers underneath, and headboards with our own storage space so that there was no need or reason for our stuff to mix. Even the closet, top rack, bottom rack. And no, you can't hang anything on mine, and I promise not to hang anything on yours. My brother really was the vocal enforcer of all the rules of personal space, and violations were quickly addressed, sometimes with a quick bout of corporal punishment to confirm the transgressions. I remember one time my brother came in and for some reason I was sitting on his bed. Not sure what caused me to do play that game of Russian roulette that afternoon, but I was quickly and harshly scolded to get my quote juices off of his bed. I wasn't aware that I had juices, but trust me, it never happened again. Liberation Day came when we moved into a new house going into my eighth grade year, but it would not be the end of roommate issues and having to observe protocols of sharing spaces and learning your sphere. Between living in the dorms at university and two years at Bible college and a pretty full roster of roommates during those six years, I found myself in the role of personal space enforcer at least twice when I had at least two roommates who obviously had never learned the rules of sharing spaces from my older brother. Their stuff often made it onto my bunk or side of the room. Personal space was definitely something they had not read about in the student housing handbooks. And now I was the one worried about juices on my stuff. In the beginning, God created man and placed him in a garden. It was his God-appointed sphere, the place that he would live out of his relationship for which he was created and where he would exert his influence and impact, his corner of God's creation. And God has a sphere for each of us as well to live and to dwell and to influence. As we get to the end of Acts chapter 9, Saul has headed off to Tarsus for the next decade or so, for the Lord to transform him from the disciple Saul into the apostle Paul, through the slow school of day-to-day abiding in Jesus, reprogramming this former Pharisee to see the world through the gospel of grace. So as Luke writes Acts, he turns the focus for a bit back to Peter. As we see his sphere expands, God drawing him out of Jerusalem, at least for a while, to impact a new sphere for the gospel of Jesus. Let's get started. We pick up in Acts 9, verse 32, which says, Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. We look again at Peter. This guy's life is quite an interesting one if you map out his trajectory. Grew up in Galilee, a fisherman. His brother Andrew, we are told in John 1, was a disciple of John the Baptist. So perhaps Peter had taken an interest as well, as the common people had all gone out en masse to the Jordan. To hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The people stirred in their hearts as John was calling out the religious establishment and turning the hearts of the children of Israel back to the Lord. One day, Andrew was with John the Baptist and Jesus after his baptism comes by, and Andrew and another disciple hear Jesus speak and follow him. 
Jesus asks them what they seek, and they ask where he is staying. Jesus invites them to come and see, and they remain there with Jesus that day. And the first thing Andrew does is find his brother, Simon Peter, and says, We have found the Messiah. And he brings Peter to Jesus. And at that first meeting, Jesus looks at Peter and says, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated stone. And his life was never the same. He left his nets to follow Jesus. Imagine the tiny sphere of influence he had once known, a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. God now expanded or even exploded, and this Peter is now traveling the countryside with Jesus, the one that they believed to be the promised Messiah. And then some three years later, the crucifixion, the denial, the rooster crowing, the empty grave, the ascension, the upper room, the day of Pentecost, the opposition, the persecution, and the scattering from Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Jesus had invited Peter to follow him, and Peter did. And the tiny sphere that had once made up his life on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, it expanded, and his once so tiny world had new meaning and purpose and far-reaching implications. That is something all those who follow Christ discover, that our lives are a part of something so much bigger, a bigger picture, a bigger story. And the Bible is full of accounts of men and women drawn into something greater, eternal purposes and eternal callings. Abraham, out gazing at the stars, discovering that his desire to be a dad will actually become something so much bigger that will impact the whole world. Noah, a man who wants to keep his family focused in a crazy world of decay and corruption. God has something so much more important than just preserving his kids from going off the deep end. He would be a part of preserving mankind's very existence. David, as a curious teenager, would head out to check on his older brothers on the front line and be invited in to slay a giant, liberating his own nation from fear of the enemy and allowing the dominoes to begin toppling in a direction that would eventually lead him to be king. Mary, a humble and faithful girl in Galilee, looking toward marriage with a man she had once been matched with, interrupted with a message that her sphere and desire to be a mom would suddenly take on much more meaning. Paul would remark to the Corinthians, But as it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And God can and does surprise us sometimes, that the spheres we have walked in, he's got something else in mind. There was a gospel tract back in the day used to share Jesus with people and called the Four Spiritual Laws. I haven't seen it in a number of years. But with the Four Spiritual Laws, law number one was God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. What a profound truth. Most of us are running around planning out our own futures and destinies. But God loves us and has a wonderful plan for us if we will just turn to him and give him the steering wheel. Peter's life had taken such a different trajectory than he had anticipated. And so in Acts 9, verse 32, we are told that it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. As Peter had yielded to Jesus a few years earlier, his life now looked quite different. No longer fishing fish, at least for the most part, but fishing for men, as Jesus had promised. And though there had even been a season after Jesus ascended that Peter had set up camp in Jerusalem along with the other apostles, he had been drawn out to Samaria back in chapter 8 of the book of Acts, 
after Philip, a man who had been waiting tables to serve the widows in the church in Jerusalem, had gone to Samaria to preach Jesus during the persecution that sent them all scattering. And word got back to the apostles that the Samaritans, who had customarily they had viewed as less than, that they were mixed blood and not fully Jews. So Peter had stepped out because they had heard that these Samaritans had become believers. And he went up with John to see if this was really true. There they ministered to these new believers and prayed for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 8 verse 25, we are told that Peter and John headed back to Jerusalem, but they preached on the way in the Samaritan cities, telling more of them about Jesus. Well, some time has gone by and something stirs in Peter to get out on the road again, to expand his horizons, a growing sphere of influence and authority. And verse 32 tells us he went through all the parts of the country and comes to the saints in Lydda. Not sure what that is that gets Peter going again, but you may have experienced that before. Some kind of restlessness, a stirring that tells you there might be something more. And you are kind of in a season of sensing there could be or should be something else. And while we can jump the gun and just start trying different things to see if what it is, when we are patient and seek the Lord, He will lead us in fruitful things and open new doors in His timing. We'd been back off the mission field for a year and a half or so, and we had some influence in the school where we were teaching, but something was stirring for me. A holy restlessness that there might be more. Well, one night I went to a home gathering. Some friends from the mission field were in town, and they were sharing about their ministry as they were building a network of supporters through an area church which just happened to be in our area. So it was great to see these friends and to hear an update on what God was doing. But after the time of hearing about the ministry, I struck struck up a conversation with someone else who had been invited to the gathering as we stood in the kitchen gathering some snacks. And this person began to share about a ministry that they were a part of. It was a chaplaincy program at a hospital in the city. And they shared about what they did and how it worked and the opportunities they had to minister to those in the hospital, patients, families, even staff members, key moments of crisis to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus. And something in me was racing, like I would love to do that if I could. I went home that night and I could not wait to tell my wife. My mind and my heart were racing and I could barely sleep thinking about it. And it didn't go away. So I dug a bit more and tracked down how to apply. And next thing I knew, I was in a chaplaincy program at the hospital. God had stirred my heart in that moment of hearing and then opened the door. And it was such an impactful season of ministry for myself as I had just come off the mission field as I got to know Oklahoma and its people. With a team of chaplains and chaplain interns, I worked Monday through Friday at school. And then I did a 12-hour shift each weekend at the hospital often overnight, sometimes on the floors, sometimes in the ER and trauma ward, sometimes in the children's hospital. And it was never a dull weekend, I can tell you. Some really amazing opportunities to minister in critical times in people's lives. And it was such a different avenue of ministry than I had ever really been a part of. It made me trust the Holy Spirit in new ways to learn His leading and respond to Him. I did it for a season and it was blessed, but a whole new sphere that God opened up and I'm grateful for it. I learned a lot about the Lord and a whole different area of ministry. Even the fact that I was used to serving the same people as their pastor previously as a missionary, being in their lives for the long haul, consistently ministering to them. At the hospital, I learned that sometimes God has you in someone's life for one moment or five minutes or in one single evening of crisis. 
And that's the only opportunity you have to be an influence. And then you move on and trust the Lord to continue the work because it's up to him and not up to us. Some great lessons from that season that I've seen God apply in subsequent seasons. But Peter is called out of what is familiar and comfortable and has now gone down to Lydda. It's about 25 miles from Jerusalem. Today, it is known as Lod. If you've ever been to Israel, it's in the area of the airport. And for Peter, 2,000 years ago, it's his first stop on this interlude that we see in Acts, where Jesus starts expanding his horizons. Because we won't always walk the same paths or circle the same tracks. There are times Jesus expands our spheres or extends them or moves them. And there is always blessing when we are obedient to go with him. Peter has obeyed to head out, and this is what happens, verses 33 through 35. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. It tells us that Peter, quote, found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years. Not sure how Peter found him, but that was the Lord's doing. Peter had gone out in faith, trusting that there would be needs, and one came up that Peter could step into. It's one of the biggest things of ministering, stepping out in faith and believing that God will do something, because there are always people who need Jesus. So if you go street witnessing, how will you know if anyone will talk? Well, if you go in faith, Jesus will almost always bring someone to share with. And if not, Jesus will still do something, even if you just pray during that time around. Maybe he prepares the soil for the next time around, or prepares your heart through the time of going in faith and praying. Missionaries usually go to new places with no guarantees that anything will happen. But as they go in faith, God starts opening doors. Even showing up for a Sunday service at your local church, we can believe that God will show up and do something. I remember that often, getting up in the pulpit on Sunday morning. I had notes, I had a message prepared, but had that feeling of like, Lord, unless you show up right now, this is going to be a total waste of our time. And God was always faithful to do so. Because Jesus even said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Often we just need to show up and then step out in faith, open our mouth and begin speaking, play that first chord of the first song, step up to the person and start the conversation. And God will show up and make himself known. And Peter experiences that in Lydda. Aeneas has been bedridden for eight years. What a frustrating place to be, bedbound for an extended period of time. The atrophy, the bed sores, the mental and emotional headspace that goes along with a limiting condition. In an earlier sphere, Peter had had the faith to say to a lame man at the temple, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And that man left jumping and leaping and praising God back in chapter 3. And once again, Peter has faith that Jesus can do it and invites Aeneas to believe in faith and arise and make his bed, and he does. But it's not like an old magic trick that Peter does here with Aeneas with a new audience. It would require faith again for Peter to even speak those words. And when God uses us in any sphere, if it is to have any impact, We can't lose the faith required that it is Jesus doing it, an utter dependence upon him to come through, lest we utterly fail. It can be a dangerous place when we rely on the faith of past seasons or spheres to see God do something now in this place. 
While we might understand and believe the faithfulness of God from previous seasons, we still in the moment need the Lord to come through, or else it is just our own might and ability and resources, and we rob Jesus of the glory. But here in Lydda, Jesus is glorified in healing of Aeneas. In fact, verse 35 tells us, So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. The word spreads, and Aeneas's fit paralysis, his eight-year condition, suddenly it becomes all worth it, as God has been able to use his suffering to bring Jesus glory. Think about that. For eight years, Aeneas's sphere had been very limited, bedbound, not very far-reaching, his reach proverbially paralyzed. And yet this day, the Lord has been able to reach far beyond to all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon, saw him and turned to the Lord. Sometimes we feel like our sphere is quite limited, like we have no impact, no influence, no means to do anything noteworthy for God. But I'm sure Aeneas himself was surprised to see just how far-reaching the impact was in the end, in spite of his own limitations. Well, news spreads, and from 12 miles away in Joppa, near the coast, there is a group that hears that Peter is in their area, and they have an idea. We read Acts 9, verses 36 through 39. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Tabitha has died, and people miss her dearly. She's described here as being a woman full of good works and charitable deeds. She was a philanthropist through and through, just always doing good things for people, for those in need, or just to be kind even. Everyone wants and needs a Tabitha in their life, and she clearly made an impact in her spheres. Even when Peter shows up as they are weeping, they show the tunics and the garments that she had made while she was with them. She had had a part in clothing the people there, made things for them, and now that is gone, those things bring memories. It's like when you lose someone you love and you hold on to things that have memories tied to them. Each of those pieces meant something to at least someone there in that room. I imagine, I don't know if she was a knitter or a crocheter, but everyone had sweaters, everyone had beanies, everyone had something that she had made. A story tied to it of how God worked through Tabitha to meet a need. This woman truly impacted her sphere with the unique gift that God had given her. It's important for the glory of God to discover our sphere. For Tabitha, her sphere was good deeds, charitable works, making tunics and garments. Not everyone had that gift, but Tabitha was impactful through it. I've been reading through the Bible using one of those reading plans. This one is chronological, something I haven't done before necessarily. And I got the part where David is nearing the end of his life. And one great desire David had was to build a temple for the Lord, a permanent place of worship, as opposed to the tabernacle that had been the center of their worship since the wilderness days under Moses. But as honorable as a desire as it was to move the Lord into a tempor- uh, from the temporary tabernacle into the permanent temple, the Lord had told David, no, that he could not build the temple. 
but that his son would do it. Since David's reign had been marked with wars and death, and he had shed much blood, his son's reign would be marked with peace, and that would be the season for building a temple. But David does all he can to help prepare for that temple, even down to appointing people to specific duties of what they could, would do for the temple to keep it running. And he appoints others to help run the nation, setting his son up for success because he had invested so much and followed the Lord so faithfully, he wanted to see the next generation continue in success. As I was reading, I found it interesting in First Chronicles 27 how specific the job assignments get. Sometimes people say they have, quote, a guy, like they have their lawn guy or their pool guy, or they have their mechanic guy if something goes wrong with their car or their HVAC guy or their owes me a favor guy. People they turn to probably have in their phone that they call up when needing help or work in a certain area. They have their guy. David had guys for certain things. First Chronicles 27 verses 25 through 34 tell us that David had a guy over the king's treasuries. His name was Asmaveth. There was Jehonathan, David's guy over the storehouses in the fields, in the cities, in the villages, and in the fortresses. The verses tell us that he had a guy over those who did the work of the field or the tilling of the ground. He had a vineyard guy named Shimei, and Zabdi was his wine guy, a sommelier. He had an olive and sycamore tree guy named Balhanan, and Joash was over the store of oil. He had two herd guys. Shitrai was over the herds that fed in Sharon, and Shaphat was over the herds that were in the valleys. He had Obil, the Ishmaelite, over the camels, and another guy over the donkeys, Jediah, and still another one named Jaziz, who was his flock guy. So interesting, David had a guy for pretty much everything. David's Rolodex, or contacts in his phone for the reference of our younger listeners, these, they, these were their spheres of influence, and the Holy Spirit gives lines of Scripture devoted to pointing out how they were used by God in these very practical areas. They could each serve in ways that David could not, and their reach extended where David's did not. And without their influence, without their spheres being fulfilled, David's plan itself would not even be fulfilled. They were all important pieces of the puzzle. God has a sphere for each of us, and discovering that and living fully in that can bring God so much glory. On reflecting on spheres, I was drawn to the New Testament, to 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing this next letter to the Corinthian church, a carnal group of believers who was really struggling with living fully for God. They were swamped with reminders and lures from their old lives, and their carnality was not letting go so easily. Well, after Paul had left them, other teachers swooped in, as per use, and they began to undermine the authority of Paul, making the Corinthians begin to doubt whether they should be listening to Paul, even his letters that he was writing from afar. And these teachers were talking smack, but also self-promoting, and it was messing with their heads in Corinth. But at the end of chapter 10, Paul hones in on this theme of spheres, saying, We, however, will not boast beyond measure but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure that is in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So the New King James Version talks about these spheres. 
but the word in the Greek is canon. It means like a rod or a stick. Think of a measuring stick or a tape measure or a ruler. Carpenters would use a cannon to make the straight lines or to measure distance. In the Greek games, they might use it to measure the distance that a jumper had leapt for scoring's sake. Some translations translate instead of spheres, area of influence or area of authority. The version I read refers to it as a sphere. It really points to your reach, how far you can measure out from your fixed position which is what a sphere is, all points on the surface the same distance from the center. And Paul noted in those those verses that there are limits to our sphere. We can't reach everyone, but we can reach those in our sphere. And he knew that their sphere included Corinth because they'd made an impact there. We can overextend beyond our sphere, and usually we will see a lack of impact or we're striving to make things happen. And Paul was inviting the Corinthians to stay supported of them, to stay on their team, because their sphere was expanding, Paul and his team. But not because of their work or efforts, but because of God's blessing in their sphere. And Paul could only glory in God. It's good to sit and ask the Lord to help define our spheres, to show us where our reach extends, who we have to influence, to impact for God. This doesn't mean that God will never have us do something that stretches us. Paul mentioned that their sphere was expanding, but knowing our lane can be a very fruitful thing, as we prune away some things so we can bear more fruit in that which is more fruitful. Where does your sphere extend? Who does God have you to impact? Tabitha impacted the believers in Joppa, her good works and charitable deeds and the tunics and the garments that she had made, all part of the unique way that God used her to impact her sphere. And whose sphere might you be in? Who is the Lord using to reach you, their life and their gifts and their ministry extending into your area and being used for Jesus? We have a friend who told us a story about an area of his sphere, Jesus using part of his reach. It was his senior year of college, and as a poor college student trying to finish, with all his commitments and activities, it was hard for him to find a job. His schedule just did not allow it, but he had to pay for school somehow. So he finally got a good enough car and was able to start driving on a rideshare app. And he soon realized that those extra dollars were also a part of his sphere. He had always loved talking about his faith. And now he had people in his car for 15 minutes at a time. And the Lord often opened the door to ask questions and talk about Jesus. He recalled one time he was driving a woman. And as the conversation went spiritual, the lady in the backseat bursted out saying, I need to give my life to the Lord. Talk about setting you up for a slam dunk for Jesus. That is the right request, basically a what must I do to be saved statement. Well, our friend pulled over in the middle of the ride, turned off the app because it kept interrupting to accept the next pickups, and instead passed on those fares and led the woman to Christ as she sat in the back of the car. Our friend recounted the event and how it was totally the Lord. His fear had extended into this woman's life, and he was able to impact her for eternity. In fact, the woman was clearly grateful as well. She actually left him a $200 tip on the app, well worth those fares that he passed on. The woman left rich in Christ, having come to salvation. And our friend in the college senior left rich in many ways that day. Are you and I aware of the extent of our sphere? We don't always think of it as our sphere, or as the other translations say, our area of influence or area of authority. But it's a good thing to sit with the Lord on and ask him to help us see what spheres he's entrusted to us, 
and seek to see them filled with His presence more and more. Tabitha and Joppa may never have really thought or calculated her sphere, but she clearly made an impact, and those there miss her so dearly. Now notice, she's already dead. They have washed her and laid her in the upper room, but those believers there have the faith. And Peter responds to their request when they come to Lydda and heads with them to Joppa, where we pick up again in verse 39 through the end of the chapter. It says, Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, sharing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. What an amazing miracle! She was clearly dead. They had handled the body, and God works through Peter's sphere. As he puts them out and prays, turns to God, because Peter could not do this. Raising the dead is not in his sphere of power, but it is in Jesus's. He is the resurrection and the life. And on this day, in that upper room near the coast in Joppa, Jesus fills Peter's sphere with his glory. And how glorious this was. Jesus got the glory. We are told that many there believed on the Lord. And Peter stays many days there with Simon a tanner. And a good thing, too, that he does not rush off, because Peter's sphere and the sphere of the gospel are about to expand greatly in chapter 10, a huge shift in the paradigm of the reach of the cross of Christ, something we'll see next time on the podcast. Peter has made his way out of Jerusalem, through Lydda, and now down to Joppa, as he continues to be obedient to all that Jesus has for him to go to whomever the Lord might lead him to. And it's something the Lord calls us to do as well, sometimes in unexpected ways. I heard a testimony recently on a Christian radio station. A woman called in recalling a season in her life when she was not doing the greatest spiritually. She watched as people around her seemed to be basking in the Lord, and she did not feel the same connection with Jesus that so many around her seemed to have. She confessed on the radio that she even felt jealous many times, but she was struggling. Well, one day in this season of discouragement, she was at the grocery store, and a woman, a total stranger, came up to her and said she wanted to buy the caller's groceries. She said that she had been praying for a long time about doing this, that it was her desire to show someone someday that God loved them and saw them, that He had His eye on them. And that day in the grocery store, she felt like God was showing her that this woman who called the radio station was the one. And so she asked the caller if she could pay for her groceries. A simple gesture that God saw and loved and cared and knew her. And she did. And the caller shared that from that point, everything changed because she saw the love of God in action in such a practical, tangible way. And it erased many of the doubts that she had. Some praying woman at the grocery store one day heard the Spirit tell her that her sphere that day was right there in that store. And while that woman did not have the whole story or know what was going on in the background of this caller's life, She listened and obeyed, and God brought a blessing of which she was able to be a part of. May the Lord reveal to us our spheres and show us where He has given us influence and authority. May the Lord fill our spheres with His presence and His anointing, 
And may the Lord expand our spheres in ways that bring him all the glory. Lord, we thank you that you left the sphere of heaven, that you stepped out of glory and into this world, coming to live and breathe and move and identify with your creation, Lord. And Jesus, we read in scripture how heaven came to earth through your ministry and influence. And our lives too, Jesus, they are a testimony of you breaking into our lives and redeeming them for your glory. And you purchased us by your blood with your sacrifice, giving us new lives that have purpose and calling and direction, all a part of your master plan, God. Lord, we humble ourselves before you and yield ourselves to you. May your life overwhelm our lives, and may we decrease as you increase. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.